Today on Globally Speaking, we talked to a person in charge of localization at Marriott, one of the biggest brands in travel and hospitality. What are their challenges and what can we learn from them? Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. I am Renato Beninato. And I'm Michael Stevens. Michael, what's on our itinerary today? So today, our journey takes us on the challenges and lessons learned in localizing a global hospitality brand. I think you're going to enjoy it. So let our guest introduce herself. I'm Sonia Zamborski, and I am the very long and involved title of Director of Product Field Support and Communications for Digital Globalization for Marriott International. And my job is I'm part of a team of people that handles the care and feeding of Marriott's in language global websites. Specifically, my team looks at connecting the dots between what we do at headquarters and what's happening with our regional team who are in market, know the language, know it's they're sort of the subject matter experts on the ground. So I make sure that we are communicating with each other, that we are in sync about product enhancements and process improvements, and that ideally the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. So you're responsible for localizing all these websites and uh, the immediate association that we have is with the language and the translation of the websites. Mm -hmm. But travel is something that is very associated to behavior and culture. Do you do anything more than just the pure translation of your website? What does localization mean for Marriott? That's a great question. Something that we've been looking at for the past several years, really, in terms of the language. And if we're talking about a language like French or Spanish, that's quote unquote universal, but really not, you know, how, how localized does that need to be? And we have folks in the region that kind of help us make sure that we're keeping the right tone and maintaining the brand voice and also make sure that we were speaking to the local customers in their local language. And then from a, from a features and product perspective, we've done a lot of user research to determine what really is going to get that customer, compel them to buy and what needs to be global and what needs to be local because we can't have complete localization for each of our sites that would not be effective. But what needs to be localized for that audience? And it's kind of boiled down to this 80-20 rule that about 80% of the functionality is pretty universal. It's pretty across the board. Everyone kind of behaves the same way when they're booking a hotel room. And then there's that 20% that needs to be localized and unique to particular cultures. What are some of the things that fall into that 80%? So some of the things that need to be sort of unique, one example is for our Japanese site. For the rest of the sites, we've got search where you sort of type in the search term. For Japanese, we found that because of the the language and the alphabets required, it's actually, there's more of a click behavior for the Asian languages. So we implemented a search that is based on a map. And so instead of typing in Tokyo to find a hotel, you actually click a map and narrow down the search and the bookings went up, they skyrocketed on the Japanese mm. site as a result of really getting that this behavior is going to make it easier for folks to get to book. So that's one example of localizing. And there are other cases where we've looked at payment methods, for example, are very different around the world. 
And, you know, Alipay is huge in China. So we were working very closely to, to enable that. But also in Latin America, where installment payments are very common, how can we sort of work with that? Is it even possible with our system? And there's a lot of people that have to sort of think carefully about what this looks like, but it ultimately it's going to mean making more sales than it's worth putting that time and effort into it. And that's definitely part of that 20% that really makes a difference to, to make it unique. Mm. That's very interesting because what you're saying is essentially it's a different way. It's a graphical search instead of a text-based mm-hmm. search, right? And yeah. this can be also an indication of where the rest of the world is going because with mobile content, the click is easier than the text. Yep. Very true. And we found that some of our quote-unquote global user research has really led to some improvements on the U.S. English language website and also our mobile devices because some of these things are universal. They translate back into, well, that actually makes sense for whether you speak Japanese or not. We're going to make it easier. So we've been able to inform some additional user research on Mary.com based on the things that we found internationally, which is kind of exciting. We're leading the charge globally, and then it gets reflected on, on the U.S. site as well. That's great. So people love metrics. So uh, <laughs> is there anything that you have any anecdotal changes you have made that has improved your booking? You mentioned something about the language, of course, but is there anything in the localization process that you have done that has improved significantly the number of reservations or reduced the number of cancellations? I don't know what metric do you mm-hmm. use in your we have, Yeah, we love data and we have tons of metrics that we look at for almost everything that we do is not necessarily tested first, but we definitely look at the numbers and we do a lot of A-B testing and a lot of multivariate testing to see if we change. Sometimes it's a really small thing. We change the wording on this or we change the number of clicks it takes to get to the the end pass. Will that really result in more bookings? And if the answer is yes, then we'll implement that beyond just the sort of the pilot or the test. We measure click-through rates, bounce rates. We have feedback that comes in through our customer care group. We have people that can fill out surveys and give verbatim kind of feedback on how things are going. And we actually added translation quality as one of the questions on that survey, which is an interesting thing because how do you ask people if the content makes sense or if the translations are good? Like the, the average user is not going to respond to how good are the translations on this website? <laughs> they just want to know, is my content, does it make sense? So we try to really be careful about how we worded that question, but we are looking at across all of our languages, how the quality of the content, and again, are we speaking to the users in their language correctly? How does that impact the bookings? So we look at it from a million different ways. And a number of the tests that we've done recently, for example, on the Japanese site with the click to search map, bookings went up, I want to say it was like 20% in a very short amount of time. And that's a huge win. And fortunately, with the, the measurements that we're doing, we're able to see really quickly if something's working or it's not. And on the language side, on the language part, what kind of feedback did you receive? I have a theory that people only talk about translation when it's bad. Absolutely. People <laughs> like to complain. They're not apt to say, you know what? That was the best Spanish translation I've ever read. Um, exactly. <laughs> so it's hard to really get to the heart of the matter. You get when there's problems and there's complaints, but what if, what if we're doing well? And the other interesting thing that we found is that culturally, there's different ways that people give feedback. Like the Germans are very straightforward. They tell it like it is. And also we find that for the Asian languages, they will be very blunt with us and tell us if something is not working. For the Romance languages, there's a little bit more kind of wanting to please, perhaps. Somebody suggested that, like, well, we're going to maybe, maybe you could do a little better, but we're not going to really be super blunt about it. So it's been interesting to just to read the kind of feedback that comes from that question and try to parse it out into, was it just one irate person that was just sort of wanting to shake their fist or is there really a, a trend? Is there really a problem here? 
one of the things that I learned in doing business with Japan is that when they tell you that it's almost perfect, it means it sucks. That's right. You have to sort of parse it out. (laughs) So the changes that you've made to that 20% of content, was that driven by you guys creating buyer personas for different markets? Have you gone down to that level? Yes. Okay, that's great. Yeah, we do that. And we also do a lot of user research on the ground with local agencies. So we'll bring in a dozen or so people over the course of maybe two or three days and really sit them down and have them go through either a prototype or the current site, sometimes both, depending on what we're trying to test, and really get a sense for, is this working? Does this make sense? And is this person, are they a rewards member? Are they loyal to our brand? Or are they completely just, they have no idea who Marriott's all about. So it's it's a good way to get a very small cross-section of people in depth and understand what the user behaviors are. And then we've also got different kinds of, we have online tools that we use to get more quantitative testing. We do user intercepts. We have a a really cool lab in our headquarters where we bring people in to do focus group testing. And so there's a number of different ways that we try to get at the heart of what are the users thinking and how are they interacting with the site and what's the end result. And that sometimes has to be done differently with different cultures as well, which is why we work with the local agencies. They know how to recruit people. They know how to really set up the tests in a way that folks will be comfortable and so that we get the best results. Sonia, how did you get here? Did you have a background in languages? Were you always interested in international business? So I do have a degree in international communications that I kind of feel like I'm I'm finally using. (laughs) (laughs) And I studied languages over the years, but I didn't really have, first of all, I've been with Marriott for over a decade. So there wasn't really localization when I started there. It was sort of like, hey, we've got these global sites and maybe somebody can help with them. And you're a global girl. Why don't you go (laughs) check it out? And so it was from my perspective, more an interest in travel, international travel, international cross-cultural understanding. I mean, we always had a a ton of exchange students when I was growing up. So I learned from a very early age that it's a big world out there and there's lots of cool different people and to appreciate the differences and the similarities that we all have. So just sort of from a personal perspective, when I got the job at Marriott, I was really very interested in working on the global sites because that was sort of personally where I came from. Mm. And then professionally, since the time that I've been there, I've really been trying to wave the banner of global as a philosophy that isn't just for the German site or the French site, but it kind of goes spans across the entire portfolio. And I'm pleased to say that the way that our department is structured and the way that the company is moving is, is much more globally minded. And so it's not as challenging as it was when I first started to say, hey, global is important and it doesn't maybe make as much money per second as Marriott.com, which is this huge behemoth. But there's so much potential. And there's also, again, understanding the customer in their language is a really powerful thing, even if you're a U.S.-based company, especially if you're a U.S.-based company. What what triggered that change? You you mentioned that you observed Mm -hmm. that there is a change in the attitude of the company and an acceptance of being more global. Can you pinpoint an element? Were you part of this change? I like to think that I was part of the change. I don't know if I can take credit for it. But one of the things that the company, one of the reorganizations they did probably maybe five years ago or so was to give more autonomy to the continents, the the folks that are in our regional offices, because there's only so much that you can do from a very centralized headquarters building. You have to really have boots on the ground. And we do. We've got hotels all over the world and we're opening up more, you know, the pipeline for the hotel's in China is much more, mm-hmm. there's much more happening than there is here. So I think it was partly a recognition of the potential globally and also an understanding that to really be effective, you've got to empower your local folks 
and they have the best understanding of what's happening in their market. So it was sort of a gradual thing, but also there were several business factors. And I think the rise of China as an economic power really gave some rocket fuel to that as well. We do talk a lot about the importance of evangelizing internally, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you are someone who has gotten traction with that and being able to get attention from the C-level suite. What message do you feel like had the most effect? Well, ultimately, it's about the bottom line, right? So it has to tie back to those metrics or whatever is really going to count at the end of the day. And I think that also the ability to work closely with the digital folks that we have who are marketing and have a digital spin, but also are, are kind of, they're working with their regional folks. And so that we're able to be kind of a conduit for what's happening digitally, globally, I think has been very powerful in that we can work together and really here's what the impact is. And we can see with digital, it's great because with all those metrics, you can see instantly if something's working or it's not. So I think that there's kind of a philosophy and there's kind of the, the soft dollar value of like sort of the kumbaya of us all working together. And then ultimately, like, here's the result. Here's what's Mm. happening. These sites are performing. We can see the difference that this is making. What is interesting, which is in the nature of the travel business, is that the metrics are a little bit reverse, right? So in a traditional localization environment, you would talk about the percentage of the revenue of the company that comes from outside the United States. Well, Mm -hmm. in international travel, the percentage of the revenue that comes from outside the United States are actually are people who come to the United States and spend money yeah. in the United States. So yeah. what you're actually, you're selling your U.S. property to the Germans, to the Japanese, to the Argentinians, and you're selling right. your Saudi Arabian property to the Americans and the British and, yeah. and everyone else. So that's a very interesting way to, you cannot use the mess, the, the metric of, percentage of international revenue because it's very complicated. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's been something that we've been also trying to champion in the last couple of years is this cross-regional promotion, because typically it's if you're in a region and you have hotels in that region, you're responsible for and you're sort of concerned with, okay, how are these hotels doing? And the reality is that the hotels still get the highest percentage of their traffic from people in that area. But there's so much more happening with cross-cultural, cross-regional travel and that, you know, trying to, again, market to the Chinese is always the big example that we've really been been trying to fight from a funding perspective as well as from an, a philosophy perspective. Yeah, what what do the Chinese search for? What do they look when they look for a hotel? Because I know that <laughs> some people go travel for shopping, some people travel mm-hmm. for sightseeing, some people travel. Yeah. What, what is the, the driver for the Chinese tourists? There's a lot of shopping and also packages and tours are a really big, very popular thing for the Chinese. And they are, they're coming to the U.S. in greater numbers than ever before. So part of what the hotels have been looking at is localizing their product as much as they can to offer Chinese breakfast and Chinese newspapers and uh-huh. flippers in the rooms, which is not a thing that's really <laughs> typical for Americans. So, so kind of localizing the, the product being the hotel, they're kind of trying to look at trends and try to make sure that there's an actual program that really looks at culturally what the Chinese experience, what they're looking for in hotels as much as you can. I mean, there's only so much you can do. You're a brick and mortar building, but to really try to cater to those guests and make sure that they are comfortable and happy and come back for whatever reason, whether it's shopping or they're seeing a Broadway show in New York or they're going to Disney World or for some other reason that we surprise and delight them with an experience that is above and beyond. I realize the impact of this. I go to 
northwest Montana on a regular basis, a little town called Whitefish, Montana. From Seattle, we stop at St. Regis Rest Stop, which has big trout. It's the cutest rest stop in the world, but it's really (laughs) in the middle of nowhere in western Montana. And we last summer arrive and there are three buses full of Chinese tourists. Yep. And I was like, wow, this is a major market all over, (laughs) beyond New York and some of the larger cities that you would think Mm -hmm. are major markets. Yeah. Do you use user-generated content in any way to identify this kind of stuff? We do. And the user-generated content that my group works on is a little bit different from it. There are reviews that are available in language and that's kind of more traditional user-generated content. But the users and the, how content is generated from the work that my team does is more about the people in the hotels or in our regional offices providing in-language content versus having it go through the translation engine. And so, for example, we have for our hotels, there's a, there's a content management system that the hotels put in their content in English, and it gets translated into the various languages. Very recently, we opened up a pilot to allow them for certain fields to put the content in directly in language. And so if you consider that, you know, these hotels, there's a hotel in China where they don't necessarily speak English as their first language. So to make them kind of write it in English and then it gets translated and maybe the Chinese is good, maybe it's sort of garbage in, garbage out. So avoiding that whole cycle and allowing them to just enter the content in Chinese has been very successful. But it was also kind of a scary step to take to decentralize that control over that content. And so the way that we rolled it out was, as a pilot, let's test it, start with a couple different hotels, start with a small number of fields, and really allow those, the end users in this case being the, the folks in the, in the hotels, to take ownership of their content and write it in language. And it's, like I said, it's been going very well, and the world hasn't come crashing down, so <laughs> that sort of gradually we're able to convince the stakeholders that not for everything, and we certainly have to maintain brand standards and quality and monitor and all that good stuff. But for, in certain cases where it makes sense for us to not have so much control, it really does benefit. It saves money. It saves time. Everyone's happier. We had a better end result. So I think that gradually, step by step, that's kind of the way that we're moving, again, where appropriate to allow for speed to market and savings of time and money to allow those folks to just create what they need to. You guys have built in some level of accountability. You mentioned guidelines. Mm -hmm. How have you fostered that with the teams that are creating the content? We have traditionally and historically had a lot of governance around the content that gets generated, especially with the hotels, because we want to make sure that photographs are of a certain quality and that the things are SEO optimized and things like that. So we have the guidelines already in place for hotel website content. And then it's just a matter of, okay, how do we broaden that? And if we need to make it specific for language, yesterday we were talking about using formal versus informal versions of Spanish. And there are cases where it's appropriate to have an informal tone and there's cases where it's not. So we we do have style guides for each of our languages that get into some detail around how do, do we translate the brand names and what's the tone of voice and how are we conveying the brand in this market? And that's, always evolving and always changing as we do user research and we find out what's resonating with customers who may not have that brand awareness that continues to get modified and built on so that we are we get stronger at knowing how to communicate in that language and making sure that everybody in the chain who's generating that content is aware of what those guidelines are. Do you use machine translation in any way? 
Not at the moment. We talk about it from time to time. And there was some discussion of possibly using it for the reviews content. Because if you have the, the way that the user reviews go, if there is content in that language, it displays. So if somebody's written a review in Spanish, it'll show up. If not, then it, it won't. So we were talking about, well, what if we really want to get more volume of content, then you can maybe use machine translation to kind of say, all right, this is the gist of what this person said, good or bad. And so we continue to consider that. And it's, again, that question of sort of giving up pristine control over anything that faces the, the end user. We really want to have consistency in our brand voice. So at the moment, we don't use it. And I'm not sure that we will anytime in the, in the near future, but it is definitely part of the conversation. Are you guys measuring the impact of the user-generated content? Are you seeing certain areas where it's much more effective and areas where maybe you pulled back? Right now, the metric that we're looking at is cost savings and time savings. And obviously, we're always looking at bookings and revenue and all that good stuff. But it's really hard to pin down this one field that we localized and we you know, put user-generated content and now suddenly we're getting all these bookings. So it doesn't necessarily, it's not a one-to-one match in terms of the big metrics, but it really is more about the overall health of the ecosystem and having content move through smoothly and get updated on a regular basis and and things like that. Did you sense a change with the in-region people who were contributing? Was there a greater level of ownership rather than just being dictated? There was. Okay. Yes. That's a big value. It's huge. I mean, to say, all right, we're giving you with great power comes great responsibility. Here's <laughs> this ownership over this content. Make sure it's good. Make sure it gets updated on a regular basis and that, you know, if it's wrong, it comes back to you guys. So they were happy and they were excited to take on more of that ownership. And that, I think, is one of the biggest arguments for continuing to to do this. And we're looking at, can we have more self-publishing content for promotions, which are very time sensitive? And we did a pilot with a platform that's actually hosted by one of our vendors where people can go in and generate a promotion and it gets published. And it, this can be in any language. It gets published almost instantly. And there's not necessarily, they're not part of the regular QA, you know, mm. approval process. It just, it's out there. And there again, there was great fear that, oh my God, what are they going to generate? This is going to be terrible. And, you know, there were some missteps. There's some governance needed to kind of, again, guidelines and help people understand what's going to be the most effective. But it's been a very successful pilot. And there again, the question is how to make it bigger? How do we bring it on platform? How do we make it part of our content publishing system where if there's a, a flash sale or if there's a hotel that has a need time where they're, they really are, need some help to get some reservations and they, they're going to put a promotion together for this weekend. You can't have the same cycle of, well, we're going to build this page and it's going to take a couple of weeks and it's going to be great. It, no, it needs to go now. So how do we account for that and have that be something that, again, there's ownership and there is a much better sense of working together rather than we're asking for something from the field and you guys at headquarters just are folding your arms and saying no. So it's a process, definitely. But I think if we can prove in small ways that it's working and then expand the pilots to become something bigger, that's the way that we're going. Yeah. So you're doing this great job. You've been figuring out how things work. And then top management comes and decides, we're buying Starwood. (laughs) (laughs) That was not in your plans. No, it was that? a big surprise. <laughs> well, the good news is <laughs> that... They didn't, they didn't that ask you about it, did they? They didn't. They didn't really allow me to vote on it or anything, and they just <laughs> we got announced, and we were all very surprised, and it's been a very interesting year, and we'll continue to as we look at you know how this integration happens. The good news is that Starwood is more globally minded, I would say, in terms of their DNA. 
And so it was refreshing to talk to their team and see how they do things and how they think about things as global first, which is something that we've been fighting for for <laughs> forever. And we're kind of getting there at the Marriott side. So now Starwood's coming in and saying, yeah, this is what works for us to think globally first. That really warmed the cockles of my heart. And so I think that as we look at, again, the nuts and bolts of their system, our system, their different offices, how they communicate, how they're publishing content, who's in charge of what. There's a lot of questions to get worked out, but the good news is that I feel like we're heading in the right direction from the global perspective. And are you integrated? Are you one team now? Sort of. (laughs) It's happening very gradually. And we've started having conversations with their global team and thinking about, all right, what should we tackle first? How are they doing things that are the same or different? And what are some opportunities to kind of start merging these things together, it's going to take a while. And really next mm-hmm. year is really all about getting everything sorted out across the board. So we're just one small cog in the machine that's thinking about this. From the global perspective, we have definitely started working with their team and thinking about, again, the similarities, the differences, how can we merge this together and use the best practices really from both sides to make the best product possible. Yeah, maybe we should check with you in a couple of years and see how did it go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> the wild success that we'll have in a couple of years after we've figured it all out I, and we're I, a large hospitality no company. With- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be exciting times. And Starwood has a lot of really cool properties around the world. So I'm very excited about going and checking them out and seeing like, oh, can I do a little research in Tahiti and make sure that uh, we're really serving this well, market properly? I so. think we should. <laughs> I've been talking to Michael. I think we should make a live recording of the follow-up podcast in Tahiti. I am with you. Fantastic. I have a little follow-up to that, though, because, again, we're practitioners, many people in the localization industry, so it's very easy mm-hmm. to gravitate towards that. If you had to sort of express how the localization industry could serve the travel industry better, what would you have to say to that? Hmm, That is a great question. I think that flexibility is the name of the game these days. Mm. And so we obviously have a very we have a very complex system in place that handles a lot of translations as effectively as we possibly can and as cost effectively as we possibly can. But at the end of the day, to really resonate with travelers, travel is a very emotional thing and hospitality is, is a very intimate thing. When you think about it, you're having people come and sleep in your in this building and that's that's rather intimate. And so you need to really serve up content that is engaging and also reassuring in some cases and appropriate for culturally, you know, what are folks looking for and what's going to make them feel good about staying in your hotel or flying on your airline or whatever it is. And so I think that flexibility and the ability to really provide content that is engaging and cost-effective and all the, <laughs> the systems yeah, yeah. need to work too is really the balance that we're looking for. And that's not easy. I know that, having been in the trenches. But I think that's the name of the game, is connecting people, connecting the content with people. This podcast was produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, brought to you by Moravia. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.